0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Good morning, everyone. You're looking lovely this morning. Uh, Raise of hands. If you have moved house in the last 10 years, who's moved house? That's a, that's a, good, that's a good portion of That's like 90% of the people. Uh, what if you've moved house in the last five years? Okay, same same people. Uh, last year, 12 months? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good. We're about to move, or well, we've moved in the last 12 months. We're about to move again. Um, for most of human history, that would not have been the case. For most of human history, you would grow up where you were born and you would stay there. And you would grow up with the same people. Your neighbours would be the same people that grew up in the neighbourhood as well. And because of that, where you lived had a huge impact on who you were. It impacted your your community, who you knew. It impacted your mental health. We know that community has a huge impact on our anxiety and our depression. Um, For most of human history we did not move around like we do. And that is just the reality of our our life and our world, we move around all the time, we just just move. And there's nothing sinful or wrong about moving, but I wonder if it is causing a problem in our culture and in our community. Um, This transience, I think, is a major contributing factor to the higher rates of mental health and loneliness and anxiety. And we know that community is a huge factor in human flourishing. And so when we move around a lot, we, uh, our, our, our community becomes weaker. We, those ties that we have with our neighbourhood, the ties that we have to place become weaker. Um, Jay Pathak, he wrote a book called The Art of Neighbouring. He said this, he said, The majority of social issues our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just work out how to be a community of great neighbors. And I wonder when Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves, if he actually intended for us to love our actual neighbors as we do ourselves. And sometimes it's easy to kind of universalize that, that idea, which is what Jesus want, wanted. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. It was about anyone that you come across, you owe to be a good neighbor to. But I wonder, like, if we've made that idea so broad that we're to love our neighbors that we forget to love our actual neighbors. And I wonder what it would mean, what it would look like if we had a community of people, a church full of people that were actually committed to loving the people that live next door to us. I think um, the way to change our world is to change our nation, and the way to change our nation is to change our city or our region. And the way to change our city or region is to change our neighborhoods. And the way to change our neighborhoods is to love our neighbors, love the people that are literally next door to us. We are in a series uh, called Restoration. This is a big part of our vision. We follow the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. I wanna talk about this, this idea of placemaking, that there is a role in us, for us, as followers of Jesus, To be committed to a place, to be committed to a people. There's nothing sinful about moving at all, and it's fine for us to move. I'm about to move as well. But often, even when we move, uh, we're called to a place. We're moving to a place with actual people and a street that has a culture and people that live either side of us. Um, Carmen will hate me saying this, but Carmen, I get to work with Carmen. I don't know if, she, I did see her here, she's around. Oh, there she is, right there. Tristan and Carmen and Ruben. Uh, happy birthday, Ruben. And um, Carmen oversees our our clam, our kind of, this, this building and it being a gift to our neighborhood. And she does this neighboring thing really, really well. Like, you, you will notice, so she's made really good friends with a neighbor. We had good friends, we're good friends with them already, but she just took it to another level, they collaborate, they work together on the community garden, the, her kids come over to kids church, a couple of weeks ago, if you were around, I think it was in our 1030, there was an ambulance out the front, there's a little situation going on, and the kids uh, ran over here, and I found, I saw them, they were sitting with Carmen, because it's like a safe place, she was a great neighbor to them, she doesn't do that here, but she does it in her own little, like, row of units as well, um, they uh, Alex and Kayla, I don't know if they're here, Alex and Kayla and Athena, um, moved into their row of units from Canberra, didn't really know anyone, not really any connection with church, they got friends with them, invited them to church, and recently they got married, it was awesome, they had a little elopement, um, I got to take the wedding because of connections with Carmen, and they had two witnesses at the wedding, it was Tristan and Carmen, and, um, that is just an image for, and Reuben, actually, three, three witnesses, um, That's an image of great neighbouring to me. What does it mean to be committed to a place? To be committed to where God has placed you for however long he's placed you there. I wonder what if Jesus meant when he asked us to love our neighbours as ourselves, to actually love our neighbours. We can see this idea of placemaking, and Steve's going to throw this um, slide up, right in the garden... All through Scripture, there's this idea that um, we are committed to a place. In the garden, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, and He creates the Garden of Eden, has this very specific place. There's there's rivers, and there's kind of geographic boundary markers. And Adam and Eve were called to tend the place. That was their their role, to garden, to rule it, to bring the best out of it, to cultivate it. Um, The story goes that there was one tree, that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, take knowing good and evil into their own hands, redefining what it is on their own terms rather than God's terms. And they end up out of the garden, exiled from the garden, into kind of a non-place. The only only kind of distinguishing factors of the place that they find themselves in was that it wasn't the garden. This very kind of non-place. And then the story goes on, and God calls Abraham, Abram, who turns into Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. Your, your descendants are going to be numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations around you. And I'm going to give you a place, the promised land. And so there's this whole journey, the whole like Old Testament is kind of, this, the Torah is this, this journey into the promised land with a very defined geographic place. They were called to this specific place. And the reason why that place is so powerful is because it was kind of the the crossroads of the known world, and it was the best place for Israel to be to bless the nations. Now, because it was such an influential little pocket of land, that has been contested for like three and a half thousand years, Uh, even to this day. There's a war there right now over land, right? There's something about the space. And the story goes that Israel actually weren't committed to being great neighbors, uh, they weren't blessing the nations around them, and so God comes and He exiles them. He takes them away from place into Babylon, into exile. Uh, so they get taken from their homes, the temple gets leveled, they get dragged out of everything they know into this kind of foreign land and this non place again. And then we have Jeremiah, who is a prophet. He comes along, and Jeremiah 29, he's speaking to these people that are exiled. So they've gone through this whole thing, garden, non-place, to the promised land, a place, to exile, non-place. And this is what God speaks to Israel in the midst of them being not in their homeland, just wherever they find themselves. It says this, uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem this is counterintuitive, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. So in this kind of non-place, which Israel find themselves, the word from God is to build homes and plan to stay, even in the place that isn't your own. Build homes, plan to stay. Plant gardens, this is very intentional imagery, back to Eden. You're meant to like, you find yourselves not in Eden anymore, you're exiled, but you are to cultivate the world around you to bring Eden here on earth. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, and find spouses for them so they may have many grandchildren, multiply. This is coming back to the call that humans got right at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Be Plant gardens and have kids. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Now, this is like, you imagine hearing this as as a Jew. You've been dragged out of your home by these people. Everything you know has been leveled. They take you away into their land. And it says, and, and this is what God says to them, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Isn't that wild? And I wonder if we have the same call as followers of Jesus, to love our neighbours, to be committed to place, to build homes, plan to stay, create gardens, create image, bring restoration. We talked about this last week, and I'd encourage you to catch up on the podcast if you missed it. But we're to bring the beauty and goodness of truth, and truth of the kingdom of God, right to bear where we are. Later on in the scriptures, Paul talks about uh, that we are citizens of heaven. And he's writing that to Philippians. We talked about this last week. And the Philippians had citizenship in Rome, but their goal wasn't to go back to Rome. Their, Their goal was to bring the culture of Rome to bear right where they lived. And so this is our call as followers of Jesus. We are citizens of heaven, citizens of the garden city, citizens of the kingdom of God. And the same thing that I think uh, God would be speaking to the Israelites in Jeremiah is the same thing he would say to us. Our citizenship is somewhere else, but we are called to be committed to place, to plant gardens, to bring the best out of our world, our streets, our places. We are called to where we find our feet. So what does it mean then to be citizens of heaven, right, where we find ourselves this morning, 204, the entrance road, Long Jetty, or on in Berkeley Vale, or in Norah Head, or in wherever it is, Gosford, wherever you find yourself living. I want to just share three quick ideas with you around being committed to placemaking. The first one is uh, the idea of the parish. Now, a parish is old school church term where they would start a church, they would plant a church, and it would have a certain geographic boundary, and the, that would be the, the pastor's parish, like that was the, the community you were called to. Um, but Tim Sorens, uh, a friend of ours, he lives in uh, Seattle, and he, he's written a few books, one called The New Parish, and one, one called Everywhere You Look, and he talks about this idea of, of being committed to place. He says, your parish, everyone has a parish, we all have a parish, and your parish is a geographic space, a geographic area. That is large enough for you to live, work, and play in, but small enough to become a character of, small enough to become known in, small enough to sort of make an impact in. I wonder if you can just like picture you, kind of your parish right now. It might look strange. The goal isn't for it to look all neat, it might have a few different clumps of where you work and where you stay. But what is the places, the spaces that you find yourself in that God has called you to? that God has you placed in. And how can you get that small enough so that you can actually make an impact, you can become a character of? And I think there is something about just this idea of taking ownership, taking responsibility for your parish, taking responsibility for where God has placed you, where your home is, where your work is. You belong where you live. And some of us need to hear that, that you actually belong in the street that you live and you have authority to make it better. You actually have the authority to uh, change the culture of where you live. You are not just a consumer of the neighbourhood that you live in. You are a contributor. You are an architect of it. A couple of years ago, I got to—I um, was part of a little uh, podcast project where we interviewed um, church planters and leaders and thinkers from around the world, and we interviewed this one guy. His name is Nigel Cottle, and he lives in a little town, a little suburb of Auckland in New Zealand. Uh, called Morningside. And he planted a church there, and he said that Morningside, when they first went there, was a non-place. Like, no one wanted to be there. There was no cafes there. In fact, um, anyone who lived there, they didn't even write Morningside on their address. They would write, like, one of the neighboring suburbs around, because no one wanted to live there. There was nothing there. And so, as part of this church plant, they said, let's make it a place where we just want to live. Let's kind of do this place-making thing. And so, they started a little cafe in a back street, and it slowly got popular, they started sort of meeting the locals, and he said he became the unofficial pastor of Morningside for everyone coming in. The cafe got a little bit bigger, they got another premise, it got a little bit bigger, and in fact today it's the largest cafe in New Zealand. Uh, it just got voted uh, last year, I think, the best cafe in New Zealand, um, it's like really top-notch, like good cafe culture, they started another cafe in the neighborhood called Kind, and then they started a cidery, like a brewing apple cider, Um, and they source the apples for the apple cider from the neighborhood. They'll plant apple trees in people's backyards. It's like this crowdsourced thing from the neighborhood, And they're involved in social housing. They run these street parties where they feed a thousand people during COVID. They couldn't do that. So they um, made up meals and sent it to a hundred houses so that they could invite their neighbors around. And I love that idea. It's a little church plant, there's 40 people in the church, but it's had an incredible, incredibly outsized impact on, on the neighborhood. I love that. What would it look like for you to think creatively about? the place that God has placed you, the parish that you're in. You know, collectively we get to do that. You know, part of this building is that, our our community garden out the front, this wants to be a gift to our community, but I think we can dream bigger and think about social housing and business and social enterprise and space. Like, what are we doing to create space and serve our neighbors, to love our neighbors? But you can think creatively about this, you know, individually or as a family as well. How are you contributing to the flourishing of your street or your parish or your neighborhood? Maybe you're a commuter. You know, maybe you catch the train and you can become the, I don't know, the the chaplain of your train. I don't know what it is. Maybe you can throw a street party. I'm not sure. But Tim Soren says this. He says, the best churches are not innovative because of their strategy, but it's because they're gripped by what God is doing in their specific place. And as followers, of this is why the local church is so important, because we get to tune ourselves and ask ourselves, God, what are you doing in this specific place, in the place that you've called us as a church and a people? So number one is define your parish. The second thing you can do is you can prayer walk. Now, this is something that actually rocked my world. A couple of years ago, uh, we lived in Erin Heights. And when we first got married, and I didn't particularly care for Erin Heights, it was just a place to live, like I was just there, you know, it's where we'd sleep, and then we'd go do other things, other places. But I got really convicted about um, praying for the, the houses around me, so I'd go for these prayer walks down Serpentine Avenue, and I'd pray for all the houses. And it was crazy what that did in my heart, just to shift my, my disposition to the place that I actually lived and to pray for the houses. It turned out, actually, that Mel's boss lived in one of those houses later on, and she's received heaps of favour from that boss, and I wonder if there's a connection there. But there is something about place. You know, um, Sam Petrusma and I, we, we knew each other before we knew each other because we both walk a lot in Long Jetty. And, like, I didn't know him. He just walks, you know, he, he works down there. I would walk to work or walk to different places. And it's crazy what it is, just like, as soon as we walked in... I was like, oh, I, so I know you, you know. Like, there's this, like, he's a character of the neighborhood, and I love that. Like, we get to become characters of the places that we live. And so, um, this prayer walking idea obviously, when we planted here, one of my goals was to pray for every single house in Long Jetty. And so, if you live in Long Jetty, ever lived in Long Jetty, I've prayed for your house, which is 3,506 houses, by the way. Um, but there's power in just walking, there's something about walking a place. The Jews talked about a sixth sense, that, you know, we have five senses, but the sixth sense is to walk through a place barefoot. You actually feel the place. And there's something about walking whenever we can, walking past, praying for the, the houses around us, that really opens our heart up to what God is doing. So you parish, prayer walk, and the last thing is a little tool called a block map. Actually, can I get a few people, Nat, can you hand these out? Thank you, thank you. There's some pens, yeah. Just one per family will be good. Um, This block map is from a, a book called The Art of Neighbouring, which I recommend, a great book. And it's just a simple tool to map out the kind of eight closest houses to you, and your house, your street might be different. It might be weird, not might not work exactly. But to write out who lives around you, do you know the names of your neighbors? One of the best ways that we can love our neighbors, one of the first steps is um, just to just to learn their names, and that sometimes takes a big step of courage to like put yourself out there. I find that like when you move into a place, if you're moving soon, there is like an acceptable. Space of time where it's okay for you to go up and talk to someone randomly if you move in, and then it gets past that, you have to get a lot more creative about learning someone's name because you've like left it go too long. I I know Jay and Freya because they li- they moved in next door to us, uh, our our backyards packed to each other, and I was like, I, I really wanted to do this. I really want to live this out. So anyone who who moved in knew. I just took the opportunity straight away. Even though I'm an introvert, I don't like it. And so Jay and Freya moved in, and I stuck my head up over the back fence, and Freya was hanging clothes on the line, and all her children were naked, and now I felt like a creep. <laughs> and, she... and so that's how, that's how I met Jay, Jay and Freya. Um, and sometimes it just takes that like little step, like stepping into the awkwardness to, to learn someone's name. Um, on that block map you can write someone's name and then the next question I think is something you know about them maybe what they do for work or anything you know but then the third layer is what are their hopes or fears or dreams like have you got to that layer with your neighbors um we had on the other side of us when we lived in Stella Street we had neighbors who um their name were Lyndon and Kate and by all accounts, they were pretty terrible neighbors. Like, they would party all night. You know, like, Lyndon was very into EDM and, and drugs, and Tui's new. And sometimes I'd get up in the morning, and Lyndon would still be outside drinking. Um, but it's crazy what relationship does to change that. Normally, that would be, like, just a huge pain point in the street. But as soon as you begin to know someone and, le- and learn what's going on in their life... And um, we became really good friends... And one night, they were, they were quite a bit younger than us, but one night, I don't know, it was late at night and Lyndon comes knocking on the door and he had a friend with him and he said, my friend's going through a really tough time. So I don't know what to do, but I know you're a pastor and you'd know what to do, which is not true. I didn't know what to do, but I got to, I got to sit in the gutter with this young guy that I'd never met before and listen to him and pray for him. And there are opportunities like that everywhere around us. Now, this is not about making your neighbours a pet project. Like, people are not projects and there's no end game we're trying to lead people to. Our goal, as followers of Jesus, is what Jesus taught. Love your neighbours. Like, just to love your neighbours. It doesn't matter what that looks like or where it ends. Our goal is to be lovers of our neighbours. I've been living at mum and dad's house uh, because we move. uh, We settle on Thursday. We get get a new house, which is very exciting. Um, But... Mom and dad's postie is the most extroverted guy you'll ever meet. And um, I was having a chat to him. His name's Ash. And we would chat often because if he sees you out the front, you're talking there. You're talking for like 10 minutes. It must take him days to, to do one delivery. Um, but he was asking me, what do you do for work? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, my neighbor's a pastor. He, he works at EV. I was like, oh, yeah, great. And he's like, he told me the story of Jehovah's Witnesses coming to his house and knocking on the door, and he, and he says, I told him, if I'm going to go to Jesus with anyone, it's got to be with my neighbor, not you, so, so get lost. <laughs> and I love that, I kind of love that, because there is something powerful about, like, knowing your neighbors and having a connection. What if Jesus meant for us to actually love our neighbors when he told us to love our neighbors? The best way to change the world is to change your nation The best way to change your nation is to change your region. The best way to change your region is to change your neighborhood, or the best way to change your neighborhood is just to love your neighbors well. So, Father, I thank you so much for this group of people. And I thank you for the opportunity that is ahead for each of us to love our neighbors. And God, we thank you that one of the ways that you bring restoration is through people, is through loving people well. And that we get to partner with you in that way. God, I thank you that the place that we find ourselves right now is the place that we're called to right now. I pray that you would speak to us, maybe about our block map or about our parish, the kind of bounds of where you want us to focus our attention, our energy. And I pray that you would just give us one small step. Maybe it's conspiring to learn that person's name across the road or have a deeper conversation with Susan. Maybe it's asking your spirit, how can I love Linden next door a little bit better. Thank you for the place that you've called us. Thank you for the place where we find our feet. May you use that simple thing of where our house is located as a way of bringing restoration to your world. May we be conduits of your truth and beauty and goodness. May we follow in your footsteps, Jesus. May we follow you and love our neighbours. In your name, amen.